Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. If you aren't already familiar with PAL, I'd like to bring that organization to your attention, particularly if you are a parent artist or caregiver. The acronym PAL stands for Parent Artist Advocacy League for Performing Arts and Media. PAL is a national community, resource hub, and solutions generator for individuals with caregiver responsibilities and institutions who strive to support them. I am a parent artist. If you don't know me personally, I have a preschooler and a middle schooler. And on the best of days, it's a challenge to navigate family and work responsibilities. During the COVID-19 epidemic, with school closures, theater closures, and gig cancellations, the challenges are even greater. If you have the resources to do so during these strange and uncomfortable times, I encourage you to donate to artist funds at the local and national level. I'll include some of those links in the show notes. PAL is offering an online series for workplace and connection, as well as a series of Broadway masterclasses and story times for you and your kids. Proceeds support the artists and the PAL COVID Emergency Relief Fund. I'll also include a link to PAL resources and a blog post by Rachel Spencer Hewitt, the founder of PAL. It is titled, Supporting Artists with Families in Our COVID-19 Plans. PAL outlines three action items that must be included in institutional strategies and protocols moving forward to protect artists with caregiver responsibilities. These include creating structural support for schools and daycares closing, creating opportunities for remote work for staff and freelancers, creating a digital game plan for a more humane future. There's also a very thoughtful and powerful series of essays on parenting that you can find on the HowlRound Theatre Commons website. I'll include all of these links in the show notes. If you know artists with caregiving responsibilities, particularly if they have children or family members who require extra attention and care, now would be a great time to reach out. Caregiving can be an unsung and isolating experience, and it can be really nice to hear from a friend. Okay, on to this episode. Since the beginning of this year, I've had the opportunity to speak with several of the PAL chief reps from across the country. This episode is a conversation recorded in early February 2020 with Marnie Penning, the chief rep of Washington, D.C. and creator of D.C. Theater Parents. Marnie discusses her own theater career journey, including a transition into audio narration, her unconventional schedule, and the formation and support offered by DC Theatre Parents. In addition to being an award-winning stage actress, a busy audiobook narrator, and a co-founder of Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, Marnie Penning is also a playwright, teacher, and children's book illustrator who lives with her husband, son, dog, fish, and chickens outside Washington, D.C., She created the online group DC Theater Parents in 2013 when her son was a few months old, and since those initial baby-toddler playdates in her living room, it has grown to over 300 theater professional parents who share ideas and mutual support in the DC area. For more information on Marnie herself, visit theladyhamlet.com. 
I'm so grateful for this honest and delightful conversation with Marnie. I hope you enjoy her wisdom and humor as much as I did. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Marnie. How are you today? Hi, Tamara. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for the conversation. Let's start with you. Okay. Would you give us a sense of your artistic journey and more specifically how your career has evolved since you've become a parent? Wow. Okay. So I started acting when I was about six years old. I performed a play for the PTA that I had written with my friends. <laughs> and then I was always, you know, doing like dress up and, and performing in my backyard. And I uh, did plays all throughout school. So I started with Children's Theater of Arlington, Virginia, which is where I grew up um, when I was nine. So I did that till I was 14. And then I did plays in junior high and high school. And then I went to James Madison University for theater and graphic design. So I actually have a double major. Then from JMU, I toured with um, Shenandoah Shakespeare Express for three years, which has become the American Shakespeare Center down in Stanton, Virginia. And that's been going on since 1988. And so I I was there for three years. And after that, a bunch of our friends from JMU were like, well, we want to start a theater. And so we went to different places in the U.S. And one of us found Cincinnati. And so we all converged on Cincinnati and co-founded since what is now Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. At the time, it was called Fahrenheit Theater Company, and then it turned into Cincinnati Shakespeare Festival. Now it's Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. It's been running for over 25 years now. So I was there for six years, but I was non-equity. So in an in interest of expanding my opportunities, I turned equity while in Cincinnati and then moved to New York. So I was in New York for almost 10 years. And when you move to New York, normally you move to New York to leave it if you're a stage actor. you <laughs> Seriously, you go there to audition. You go there to, um, to find the jobs and then you go off and do the jobs and then you come back. Unless you have like a Broadway career, you're, you know, triple threat, which I am not. You know, I'm, I'm a Shakespearean at heart. I started doing Shakespeare in the fourth grade, and I have loved it ever since. I've done 54 productions of 23 of Shakespeare's plays in my career. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it, that's, that's my, my love. That's my home. Mm -hmm. So I, I did a lot of theater, a lot of Shakespeare all over the country. And then I met my husband. And so I started dating him in 2009 and then moved back down to D.C. where I had been working off and on uh, from New York. <laughs> and now we live here and I have a seven and a half year old. So the way that my career shifted when I met my husband was like, oh, wow, I've been doing a lot of a lot of stuff on the road. But when I met him, I knew that that was my home base. My he was the reason for me to get off the road because I wasn't having fun on the road anymore. So I stopped going on the road. I did theater just in D.C. And then I had my son in 2012 took a five-year absence from the theater to, A, get pregnant because my husband was on a regular schedule and I was on a theater schedule and never the twain shall meet. Right. <laughs> Just ships passing in the night. Exactly. Right? And you can't, like, 
get pregnant if you're not in the same room at the same time. <laughs> Although with modern technology, you can, but you know, it's more fun the other way. <laughs> um, and then, so then I, I took a year off so that we specifically could concentrate on that. And then got pregnant, had my son, uh, was off stage for three years until he got to the point where he could understand that I was coming back. And then a friend of mine said, hey, we're doing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I'd love you to come in and audition. And at the time, I was like, uh, am I going to be able to, you know, be a parent and be an actor at the same time? Mm-hmm. And um, and then I auditioned and got the part. And I was like, well, here we go. And my son loves having an actor for a parent. So it's pretty neat. That's a pretty big jump back in to the pool <laughs> to yeah. go straight to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Well, I was May, so I wasn't May <laughs> and Maggie, still. thank God. Well, you know, what's funny is the woman playing Maggie was also a parent. So it was like we commiserated on that. And the guy who's directing uh, was parent. His daughter had already grown up and left the house, but she ended up becoming an actor as well. So how was it for you to be back on stage? You had a, a three-year-old at the time. Yeah. And, and how long did that continue? Or is it still continuing? The last two years, I was on stage nonstop. So from April 2017 to April of 2019, I was on stage nonstop. And I was missing bedtime six nights a week, basically. And after a nine-week run at Studio Theater in admissions, which was amazing and kept getting extended and extended and extended, I was like, okay, all right, I'm ready for a little bit of a break now. And I started doing audiobooks, which is why I'm talking to you from my in-home studio right now. Yes. Talk about that. Oh, my gosh. I got to say, for a parent performer, this is the life because I work out of my house. My uh, son's room is on the other side of my studio, so I can hear him when he wakes up in the morning. I am a, a night owl and always have been. So I have found that it's much better for me to record at night. I go to bed with my son at around between 7.30 and 8.30, put him to bed, go to bed myself. I wake up at around 2, 2.30 in the morning. But that's great because I'm actually getting five hours of sleep, which I never <laughs> did before. Um, I have breakfast. I warm up. I come into my studio and I record straight through until he wakes up. And then he comes into my studio and it's so sweet. He'll like come in or like yank open the door because I've got, you know, I've got it really, really tight so that it seals out. Right. <laughs> it seals out noise. He yanks open the door and he comes in and he just like snuggles on my lap in my studio. And I just have the best time with that. So then I get up, I get him to, to school and then either I'll come back in and keep recording like I have to do today. I have a deadline or I will go to sleep. And then I can go to sleep until like if I have to run errands, I'll do that first, and then I come back and go to sleep. I'll wake up right when I have to get him from the bus, mm-hmm. so it was around three o'clock, and then I am awake and alert for him. And I've done all this performing throughout the day. I get to play all the parts. It's really, really fun. <laughs> right. So I lo- I love audiobooks. I recommend it highly to any performers out there who want a job based from home. This unconventional schedule, I just can't stop thinking about it. You mentioned it to me on a phone call we had a couple of months ago, and I have been thinking of it pretty much nonstop since then because it's so, I mean, it's kind of like an interesting parenting hack and sort of making making the rhythm of your family and your own self work for you. Did you try it the other way first? Did you try to yes. you know, 
sleep from like 11 to 7. Okay. How did, how did that, I'm very curious about the decision to actually accept this unconventional schedule, because I think there's a lot of pressure, like societal pressure to do life in a certain way. The societal pressure, I get it every single day, actually, because people are like, oh, my gosh, how can you work in the middle of the night? I can't. Can't you do it the other way where you you get up and you you record during the day? And the simple answer is no, (laughs) (laughs) because um, our neighborhood is changing Um, where I live in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. I live in a, um, a neighborhood that is flipping houses every day. And so in my neighborhood, I had a house being built down the street, like three doors down. Um, so the pounding and the digging and the the trucks coming by, even with a studio that is as well insulated as mine is, I could still hear it. And you can't record books with like this noise in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Do it. So people people are always saying, "Oh my gosh, can't you can't you do that during the day?" I am such a night owl that what I was doing before was staying up past when my son went to bed until like two or three in the morning because like the world was asleep and the house was mine and I could do whatever I wanted and I could get stuff done. But then the downside of that is if I couldn't fall asleep, then my son gets up at 630 regardless. And so I was going to bed at three and then only getting like two and a half, three and a half hours of sleep. And it was a nightmare. So the idea of going to sleep with him and then getting up to do my work meant that I was getting more sleep than I ever had in my life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that amount of sleep before I work plus the nap that I get before he comes home from school means that I'm getting between seven and eight hours of sleep a day, which I never Mm -hmm. did before. And especially with the theater schedule, too, because I would wake up and get him to school And then I could maybe nap unless I had a daytime rehearsal. And then I would get him from school and then go to a show. Mm -hmm. So it was from, you know, April 2017 to April 2019. That was it. It was just like I would see him in the morning and then my husband or my mom or my mother-in-law, who I'm very lucky to live nearby, would get him after school. And then I would I just wouldn't see him. I would go straight to the show and then I'd come home at like... 11 o'clock at night. And then I couldn't go to bed right away because I was still amped up from the show. And then I was just getting like no sleep at all. So this works for me in many ways. Yeah. I'm so glad that you are finding something that is flexible and also gives you some sleep and the, you know, the one-on-one time that you need with your people. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It helps our family quite a bit. Let's go back in time a little bit to 2013 when your son was a a wee baby and you created an online group called DC Theater Parents. This is back in 2013. And since that time, it has really grown. I think there's over 300 people now associated with the group. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Why did you form such a group and what, what did it do for you? So back in 2013, I was a new mom. Um, My son was six months old, and I was sort of floundering like a lot of new parents do. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I there aren't that many people who know what it's like to have a whacked out theater schedule and a child. 
So I was sending all the articles I found about it to the seven people I knew that had kids who were in the theater in D.C. And I was like, oh, look at this. You know, this is what they're doing in in Ireland and this is what they're doing in the U.K. And look what I found about this theater company that's providing childcare for their actors. And then rather than just keep sending the same seven people articles, I was like, you know what, let's just start a Facebook group and you guys can invite anybody you know who is a parent in the theater, whether they're a director or a playwright or, you know, music director or stage manager or tech, you know, technical person, whatever, as well as actors. And so I said, you know, just just put it out there. Anybody that wants to, they just need to know somebody who's in the group because we talk about our kids. So we didn't want to put it out there as like a findable group. It was a secret group. Mm -hmm. And within a week, we had over 200 people. I didn't realize because <laughs> we didn't talk about it. Nobody talked about their kids in the theater because it was sort of this thing that if you had a kid, maybe you wouldn't be dedicated enough to do the show or, you know, you would you would have a schedule that wouldn't be good for being in this play or whatever. That's that's what we thought at the time. So nobody was talking about it. But all of a sudden, out of the woodwork came over 200 people, and now we have over 300 people. And we all have this common knowledge of a wacky schedule that is not nine to five by any stretch of the imagination. And how that works within a world that functions towards those kind of schedules and having children who are in school or maybe not in school yet or just about to leave for college. And the people who had been in the schedule for a long time can help the ones coming on, you know, coming forward. And so it, it just became this great symbiotic relationship where people just rallied around each other and started sharing the names of the people who are like, oh, yeah, such and such a director has kids and they know what it's like. So you should audition for plays at this theater because um, they're really, really good with schedules for families. Then Pal came along and it just was a perfect meld of of what we all believed in. I don't know much about D.C. having never lived or worked there, but are there unique challenges or opportunities associated with being a parent artist there with the understanding that, you know, this would be a generalization? Obviously, a generalization, sure. We as a community, I think, have all rallied around the idea that it's a great place to be a parent in the arts. There is so much work to be had. And lots and lots of great work to be had. So many theaters here. Um, we're one of the largest markets in the country. So there are, I mean, if you're a musical theater performer, there are plenty of places to do musicals. If you're a straight play performer, if you're um, a classical theater performer, whether you're union or non-union, you can make a living and have a family in D.C. Now, almost Every performer that I know of has a second job, but there's a lot of places to teach. There are a lot of places to to tutor. There's a lot of people that need coaching. Lots and lots of, of performers in the D.C. area are in education or they have they have other jobs that allow them to have like a rich family life in addition to a performing career. 
you talked a little bit about the kind of support that a group like DC Theater Parents can provide for professionals who are also parents. What are your thoughts about PAL and the DC Theater Parents community and how they can support people who are navigating the wacky schedule or some of the other challenges associated, whether it's multiple jobs, you know, just the lifestyle associated with being uh, a parent and uh, an artist? I think the best thing about um, PAL and DC Theater Parents, I think of PAL like as DC theater parents on steroids for the entire country. And Rachel Spencer Hewitt, who is just a powerhouse, she had worked in D.C. And so I got to know her through D.C. theater parents because she, you know, needed support while she was in D.C. And so then when she started PAL, she started sending all of her stuff to, you know, copying it to D.C. theater parents. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I never realized that a national conversation could take place over what we were dealing with in our little community, but it makes total sense. The idea of having people who understand where you're coming from, people who aren't just looking in from the outside going, uh, oh, yeah, well, you have kids and you're a performer, and well, doesn't that stink for you. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, well, you don't you ever you never get to see your kids, whatever, whatever. But Rachel has taken the conversation into, yeah, what can we do about that? And everybody's going, wait, wait, we have we have a say in this. <laughs> we can there are options. Create, yeah, there are options. We can affect change. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And she's like, yeah, of course you can. And here's how. And so she has connected all of us with these like spidery web fingers all across the country to say, oh, you know, you guys in Atlanta are having this issue. Well, here's how the people in D.C. dealt with it. Or in New York, let's have uh, a conversation surrounding motherhood and how we never talk about that in theater. And yeah, why don't we bring that out in the open? Because it makes us richer performers to have all this experience. You know, they're, uh, the play Cry It Out that's uh, that's going really well all over the country right now. There's a big conversation about, like, the people who have who are in the play. If you haven't experienced motherhood, then how can you perform this, you know, to a certain level? How can you perform these characters if you don't know where you're coming from? I mean, you can because obviously people play 90-year-old people that have never been 90 years old. But it adds a certain depth to the characterizations to have to have actual mothers playing the mothers in Cry It Out. I just think it's really fascinating to have a group of people who know where you're coming from. And that is something that because we haven't talked about parenthood in the theater We never knew we were all there. Right. I feel like it's been very isolating for such a long time that we as parents need to practice feeling comfortable talking about it. And then for those people who aren't parents, we need to educate them on some of the challenges associated with it. It's just been so secretive for such a long time that nobody knows that there are other people, what to do, what would help, any of that. So there's this national and and global in some cases 
kind of movement to educate. And then the options are kind of following right behind there. So this is what we need. Here are some ideas about what could help um, yes. because the schedule is just such a stressor. And even if there's some flexibility there, having children who are unpredictable in getting <laughs> sick and having school closings and yes. you know field trips and like all of the millions of things that kind of come up, it it makes doing the work very stressful. Yes, absolutely. My dream, I keep saying this, is like my dream is to have like a theater called Parents Playtime or something like that, where it would be all parent performers and the shows would be like, half hour to an hour lunchtime shows in the middle of an urban area where like people who work a day job could come and see the show at their lunch break and it would be double cast so that you would have a built-in understudy if something happened with your child and then like this cast would do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday and this cast would do it or like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or whatever and then they could also be given a living wage and there would be child care down the hall in case you had a small child that wasn't in school yet. I, I just have like that's my dream to have a parent theater like that. And the nice thing about that, too, is that people could come and see the shows during the day because I find it's I can't even get out to see shows at night. And I love theater. But when I start paying for the tickets and the babysitter and all of that, forget it. It's not happening. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't get to see theater much anymore either. (laughs) Not that I want to. I want to. (laughs) What kind of a pro tip would you offer somebody who is becoming a parent for the first time, given your experience? I found a circle of about 10 people who were in the theater in D.C. who all had kids at the same time I did. And we made a point to meet once every couple of weeks or once a month when it got hard. And we all came into my little living room, which was not even 10 by 10 feet, And we all sat in a circle with our babies and talked about how we missed theater or we weren't going to be able to go to auditions until such and such a time. Or I have a a show coming up and I don't know what I'm going to do about childcare. And everybody in the room knew where we were coming from. It it wasn't that you were having a conversation with a bu- with like your well intentioned neighbors who were like, well, why don't you just do this? Because they didn't understand the schedule of a performer. They didn't understand what it took to need childcare on a performer salary in a place where a lot of people don't have family to support them. I am super lucky in that my my parents live 15 minutes one direction and my in-laws live 15 minutes in the other direction. And that without that support and my husband, who has a very uh, flexible schedule a lot of the time, without that support, I, I couldn't have gone back on stage. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't have had the money to do it. Yes, absolutely. I have a question for you. It has to do with identity. So... You have you have shifted for the moment anyway uh, between being on stage a lot exclusively to being an audiobook narrator. How do you feel about that identity shift? Do you do you miss being on stage? Do you feel that something is lacking? Did the benefits outweigh <laughs> that challenge so much that you're very comfortable with it? Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. It was at first, it was a really hard identity shift 
until I started getting paid. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, oh, wow, I am actually financially stable for the first time in my life. No, not necessarily my life, because I did when I first moved to New York, I had a nice paying job. But I like I I can pay my bills. I can put money in a savings account. I can pay down my credit cards. I can pay for my son's classes and go to the grocery store and not wince when I see the bill. So what has shifted right now for me is not not that I'm not a performer anymore. I am very much a performer. I perform every single day. I just am not doing it right now in front of an audience. And I am the one who is going out and getting work. I'm the one who is in charge of my own schedule. I'm the one that's setting my hours. I've got more control over my life as a performer. Now, I just, I've sort of stepped back to if I have a friend who is interested in me for a show and they're like, you know what, this part's really good for you. Can you come in an audition for me? I'll be, you know, I'll see how it fits in my schedule. And if it's something that that I can do with my audiobook schedule, I'll be like, yeah, sure. You know, let me come in and, and see if, it, if that works. But that said, we're going to Disney for a week. And before I would have been like, well, if I make plans, I will probably get a show and I'm going to have to beg out on our family vacation. Or I won't be able to do that show because of our family vacation. And that means, you know, three months of uh, paycheck that I won't get. Whereas now I can say, oh, well, you know, I have to stop recording at this date. And then I have a week where we're going on vacation and I can pick up recording on this date. And it just has given me a freedom that I never had before where I was dependent on other people to do the production part. What's next? What's next for Pal? What's next for you and DC theater parents in 2020 and beyond? I just think Pal is getting stronger and stronger because the more we talk about parenthood in the theater, the more people are realizing that up to now, the schedules for theater performers had just been murder on families. And people are starting to realize, and and more parents are running theaters, and the people that aren't parents are realizing, oh, you know what? Um, Let me just check and see what their schedule is like as a parent, and let's see if we can shift our rehearsal time frame so that it's easier on them. So mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, a 10 to 5 rehearsal, that's that's what you've got. And it's like, oh, well, you know, if your kid is going off to school at 8 and we can start at maybe 9.30 and get you out by 2, that would allow you to, or maybe let's move to straight sixes so that we can get you out by a certain time so you can go get your child. Again, it, it's hardest on single parents. It's hardest on people without families nearby. They need to find child care that they can afford. And with a performer salary, even in the best houses, uh, you know, you're working on, you've got your rent, you've got your or mortgage, you've got groceries and all of the stuff that it takes to, to be a person. <laughs> right. Add child care on top of that, especially per, for performer schedule, which is a lot of times at night, it just gets super expensive. So... I think with the conversation that Pal is gearing, it's like, hey, let's let's start supporting families more so that people don't have to drop out of performing 
in their 30s and 40s to get off. I, I, I call it a wheel. Like theater's always a wheel, right? Because you see it on Facebook all the time. It's like, my show is starting, my show is ending, my show is starting, right. my show is ending. You know, it's like, and it seems like you blink and it's like, oh, I missed that show. I missed that show. But you realize right. it goes so fast and it never stops. So if you want to have a child, for example, you have to get off the wheel to do that. The wheel doesn't slow down for us no, at this particular point. Not at all. Not at all. The wheel will keep going. And if you have made your strong connections and and made good relationships with the theaters that you love, having those conversations and saying, hey, I am taking a break so that I can start my family. But when I reach this point, I'm going to be coming back and just don't forget about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. know, and just like keep those, keep yourself in in those people's minds by just sending them notes and saying, hey, everything's going well. I'm due on thus and such a date. And then I'm looking forward to, you know, a year and a half from now when I'm going to be coming back in auditions, just keeping like little notes in there so that the people that you already have great relationships with don't forget that you exist. I think for DC theater parents, now that my son is seven and a half, we need to get people who have just had their kids to be more invested and maybe get them to have the baby toddler meetups that we had back in 2013 so that they can all support. Hopefully, they're all supporting each other through DC Theater Parents anyway, but so that they have their tribe. And then, you know, every every cycle of people, when kids go to school, it starts getting busy and you never get to see each other. But the the baby toddler groups are essential, I think, so that they feel supported and they feel like they can make it to the place where I am and the place where the people whose kids are just graduating college or graduating high school and graduating college now have been. But that we all keep supporting the people who want to be parents and who want to stay in the theater. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to touch on before we close? I just think that with everything that's going on in the world right now, the best thing that we can do is love and support one another so that we all don't feel alone. And the idea of having a parent performer group in a large metropolitan area like D.C. or like in New York or Atlanta or even if it's like, you know, downtown nowhere uh, middle of Kansas. If you have a group of parents who love performing, they should all be supporting each other so that we all can feel like we're not floundering in this very, very difficult, not only business, but time of life. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. For more information, see our website, artistsoapbox.org. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well.